Hi, welcome to AmateurLogic.tv, episode 12. I'm George. And I'm Jim. And I'm Tommy. And boy, we've got a good episode for you today. Yes, we do. I think it's the best show so far this year. You, th you think so? I really do, yeah. <laughs> best one this year? I can't argue with that. It, it yeah. could be. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, Tommy was here over the holidays, and he and I got together out on the bench, and uh, we did a little experimenting with the basic stamp. Oh. We had a couple of requests, so uh, we went ahead and did it. Embedded microcontrollers. Yeah. Boy, you guys are getting knee deep. Well, you know, you're playing with them, too. <laughs> you just didn't make it, so. <laughs> oh, yeah, let's go ahead and get geeky. Yeah, how'd you like uh, seeing Mississippi again, Tommy, after uh, being gone a few months? I felt pretty good to be back home. Um, I've been gone for about eight months now, and it was really nice to come back and visit, but it also felt kind of good to get back home where all my stuff is, too, so. Yeah, I know what you kind mean. Kind of torn. He's calling Missouri home now. Yeah. Look at home is where your stuff is, man. <laughs> George, what all have we got coming up this well, episode? Well, of course, we've got this uh, good segment on the basic stamp. Uh, Tommy's got a photo tip, another photo tip segment for us. Uh, imagine that. Imagine that. <laughs> He's been pretty consistent on and good about having one for us every month. What's it going to be about this month, Tommy? Well, I had a request this month for uh, about how to use the dodge and burn tools in Photoshop, so I'm going to show a little bit about that stuff. That'll be a new topic for me. I have no idea what he's talking about. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, I kind of do, but I've never used them. Yeah. Jim, mm -hmm. what have you got for us in the network tools? Network tools, we're going to talk about two free network tools that everyone has already installed on their computer. What? Free, man, the price is right. That's right, that's a magic that's word. <laughs> yeah. You got my attention. Yeah. And I was playing around the junk box the other day and I needed something to come up with for a segment this time and I knew you know we were gonna have this basic stamp and that was gonna be a pretty long segment and I'd claim at least half of that for mine. <laughs> <laughs> so oh. I threw together a, a little something here um on a topic that well, <laughs> <laughs> we kind of got on to George last time about doing his one-minute segment on the yeah on the telephone, so tin cans and a string. <laughs> it's probably three minutes this time. <laughs> we did just tell him, all out, huh? <laughs> we did just tell him to make it longer. We didn't specify how much longer. <laughs> yeah, I guess we're gonna have to put a time limit on it next time. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so here's a tip from the junk box. Let me start by saying that today's tip from the bench was stolen from another IPTV show. I, I don't remember who, or I'd give them credit for this, but I saw it about a year ago, and it was a neat little tip, and I thought that uh, I had everything I needed to do it with, that you might want to see it. You remember uh, these back in the days when we had 9-volt transistor radios and everything ran off a 9-volt battery? and the wires broke off of these real bad. And you, you could buy these at Radio Shack in a pack of 10, uh, I don't know, a buck or two. There weren't much. I don't know if they even sell them anymore. The problem was that they're not very good. Uh, same with uh, most snaps that come in a lot of gear. They're not very good. If you got it on a battery, look at this. Look at all that slack. Now, 
that's not going to make a very good connection. So, fortunately there's a good answer for that. Fortunately there's a good answer for that. And I just happen to have a 9 volt battery here that's completely discharged. Uh, otherwise, you know, I wouldn't try this on a brand new battery. And let me say, do not try this at home, uh, particularly if you don't know what you're doing. But since a lot of our audience is amateur radio operators, how can I tell you not to open a 9 volt battery? You probably have done things a lot more dangerous. But if you decide to do this, make sure you uh, wear the proper eyewear and whatever else you need to protect yourself from the acid such as in this battery. And remember that it could explode. So that's another reason I'm working with one that's already discharged. Now to open this battery, I'm going to use an old pair of diagonal wire cutters that are already very gapped up and I don't care anything about them. Now, notice in this EverReady battery, it just fell right out. There we go, that's the piece that we need. So all we need to do is solder or tin these two little spots back here and then connect a piece of wire to it. I've already tinned my wire so basically all I've got to do is lay it on here now. Which wire goes where? Well if we flip it over and look on this EverReady battery it just happens to be marked positive and negative but that's backwards because you're wanting to mate with these. So the one that's marked negative, which is the female one here, that's the one that gets the red wire. You could uh, cover this up with hot glue or another type of uh, insulating material just so that it doesn't short out. You might want to take it and bend it so your wires are coming both out of the same end. And there you go, a good heavy duty 9 volt battery stamp. This is much stronger than uh, you're going to find in probably almost anything. Now what are, what's left in that battery? Well, let's take a look. A lot of little loose cells. Now this will be different in different brands of batteries. But this one was nothing more than a, a tin can with a lot of individual cells in there that were being connected together with these little strips. You know, that looks awful familiar. Would this work as a substitute for a AAA? Not quite. Almost though, with a little uh, convincing, you could use this in an emergency. Anyway, that's what you can do with a 9 volt battery that has no life left in it. Well, George, I have to say, I didn't <laughs> think it was going to be too much a three minute jump box trick, but I really am impressed. I like that one. Well, I, I can actually use that too. You know, it's not really my trick. Somebody else did it. I just can't remember who. <laughs> you know what? It's actually pretty handy though because I actually could have used one for my 9 volt adapter for this. Uh, when I put my stand together and it, it was an evening and I didn't have a, a 9 volt supply or a battery clip and uh, that would have been a pretty handy little trick. Yeah, well, now you'll know how to do it next time that happens, I guess. <laughs> this, yeah, this. next time, uh, next stamp I put together. That's yeah. right. <laughs> Speaking of building things, Tommy's got an email from one of our friends in Germany. This is from Aaron. It says, thanks for the great show, guys. I love to watch this. I love to watch. The soldering tips were exactly what I needed for my project. See the 
picture. And yes, I want a robotic episode. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, he made this uh, nice looking blinking light display here. Uh, And he sent us a little video. Let's roll that clip. Yeah, that's a pretty awesome project. Man, that was a cool project, wasn't it, Jim? Well, I tell you what, the guy from Germany, what's his name, Aaron? He's yeah. got it going on. Yeah. Yeah, he put a lot of work into that. That's a pretty awesome project. Yeah. Yeah. Speaking of projects, you know, we've uh, done several uh, episodes where we touched a little bit on the cantina. Yep. And it seems like an uh, episode or two back, you know, we answered a viewer question on there about making a cantina big enough. I think it was for two meters. That's what he was wanting. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Something about the rear end of a truck. Yeah, we took a couple of guesses. Propane. Yeah. Tell me, what was it? <laughs> yeah, about cutting the end off a tanker truck and using it for the, <laughs> the uh, can. Well, somebody thought about it a little better than we did. <laughs> Mike KL7R from the Solder Smoke Podcast. Oh, yeah. Our friend over in London said... Uh, well, he sent us a link to turningpoint.net. That's the same site that, uh, you know, we got our plans for. I didn't revisit it, but apparently he went back and looked, and he says it looks like it's going to take a 48-inch diameter drum with a 19-inch <laughs> probe, and that would do the trick. <laughs> oh, that makes he, sense. 48-inch. Yeah. Wow. So he says, <clears throat> judging by your hand on the propane torch, Jim, uh, in your lab, he says, I don't think I'd recommend it. <laughs> <laughs> he obviously saw the uh, parts recovery. Oh, segment. yes, he did. We'll yeah. have a little more on that later. <laughs> that's yeah, funny. Well, that's good advice. That's right. Well, let me make amends. Let me, <laughs> let me show you what I came up with on Network Tools, and maybe I can uh, get back in, in good graces. No fire involved in this no one? Fire, no fire involved <laughs> in this one at all. <laughs> Hello, and welcome to Amateur Logic TV's Networking Tools. You know, they say the best things in life are free sometimes. Kind of like a nice cup of coffee being at the workbench. And kind of like today's networking tools segment, we're going to talk about two free networking tools that everybody already has on their computer. That is, if you have an operating system by Microsoft or Linux or Mac OS X, Sun OS, it doesn't matter. If your computer has networking capabilities, odds are you'll have these two free tools installed on your computer. And that alone should tell you just how important these two free tools are. Let's take a look. Both tools are accessed from the command line. So first bring up your command prompt utility, CMD. And then the first tool we'll take a look at is called Ping. Type P-I-N-G, followed by the name or TCP IP address of what you'd like to ping. We're going to use www.yahoo.com. Press Enter. Just like in the submarine world, where a sound is sent out, and then the sender listens for an echo, Ping sends out a packet known as an echo request and listens for a return packet called an echo reply. Here's a sniff showing the previous ping. Here are all eight packets, the four we sent and the four replies. Back to our ping, 
At its most basic level, ping is a tool used to troubleshoot network connectivity. For example, number one, you can learn the IP address of your target, as seen here. If you don't get this first line, that could indicate name resolution problems or problems with your server perhaps talking to your DNS servers. Number three, you can see the amount of time in milliseconds that the entire round trip takes. And you can see that for each individual echo request and echo reply. Finally, Ping concludes by presenting you with some statistics about packet loss and round trip times. These are very informational and will tell you if any packets have been lost and give you the minimum, maximum, and average times of your entire ping. But ping has more tricks up his sleeve. Let's take a look at all its options. Here's an often used option by network admins, the dash T. This causes ping to continuously ping until stopped by a Control-C key combination. This has a lot of uses, including real-time observations of whether or not your host, such as a server you might be monitoring, is still alive and still operating, or at least still answering to TCP IP requests. And so here we will press our control C. You can see from looking at the statistics that we had no data loss. What else has Ping got up his sleeve? Well, here's another dash L. This allows you to specify the size that you would like the data payload in the Ping packet to be. In other words, you're setting the size of the overall Ping packet to be sent. We'll use 1536, the maximum size of a packet, before it is fragmented. And we'll ping www.yahoo.com again. And notice, we get our normal four replies, but look at the times this time as compared to our earlier ping. These times are much greater. The minimum, maximum, and average are all above 80 milliseconds. This is highly useful when you're troubleshooting network connectivity issues. Uh, this will reveal network congestion sometimes where a regular ping won't. Bigger packets are often blocked or slowed due to fragmentation or QoS or numerous other causes. Moving on, the second tool is called Traceroute. And it's spelled T-R-A-C-E-R-T. So type that in, followed by the name of what you want to trace the route to, or a TCP IP address. Press Enter. Just like placing your finger on a road map and moving it along the route to your destination, Traceroute travels along the network wires, recording its path along the way, and printing it back on your screen. Traceroute is another low-level diagnostic network troubleshooting tool. Here are some of its uses. Number one, you can literally see how many hops your packets have to make before arriving at their destination. Here, my router is the first hop. 
Then we jump onto Bell South Network, my ISP. We travel along the wires on Bell South Network until we get to Yahoo's network. And then finally, onto our destination, just one of the many Yahoo servers. And you see our original IP address that we got when we did our ping. Number two, you can see the times for each individual hop. This is important, highly informational, and very useful if you're troubleshooting network connectivity and you want to look at any one particular network node. If you're not interested in all the pretty name resolution, you can do a dash D, which allows Traceroute to work really fast and bypass resolving IP addresses to host names. In other words, you drop name resolution. Now let's have a look at those times to each particular node along our trace route. You can see all the times in this particular trace route are just about the same. Note too how trace route sends back three times to each destination or each hop. That's because just one might not be representative of the link between you and that node. In other words, one might be high while the other two are, is, is an average representative sample. Highly informational, very useful when troubleshooting uh, network connectivity slowdowns. Um, you might be able to notice where one server or one hop along the way is taking an inordinate amount of time. Now these times are normal for U.S. domestic access. But let's take a look at one that goes overseas. www.ripe.net is one of the regional internet registries. This one in Europe just happens to be in Amsterdam. And here's our trace route. You can see our path takes us along the Bell South network, again, my ISP, and we get all the way to Dallas on Level 3's network, and then we make the hop to Amsterdam. Look at these times. All of a sudden, we go from 20s and 30s and round trip times to 150 plus. But that's normal access times to Europe. This trace route was done about 10 a.m. Central Standard Time on a Saturday, sorry, Friday morning, which would make it just about close of business for Amsterdam. So these are normal network traversal times for most European assets. So there now, you have two free network tools that you know about and can add to your repertoire. So that wraps up this networking tools segment. Hope you enjoyed it. If you can think of something you'd really like to see us cover on networking tools, feel free to drop me a line. My email address is jimmy at amateurlogic.tv. 
You know, Jim, I was going to write you an email back about that trace route, but my spell checker kept throwing it out. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's right. The, the entire rest of the computing world does spell that out completely, as in trace route. Uh, Microsoft is not doing a special code on theirs or anything. It's just, uh, yeah, I think it stems back to the old 8.3 yep. DOS days, so it's trace RT. Cool. You know, uh, talking about communications and such, have either one of you guys ever heard of a guy named Fessenden? Familiar with that name? Oh, uh, I can't say that no, I have. Her name does no. sound familiar, but I can't pull out what it might have been. Well, as good radio amateurs, you should both be ashamed of yourselves. Of course, I'll have to admit... <laughs> well, wait a minute. I didn't know who he was either. Is he the guy that developed, came up with the amateur code? No. As in the, you know, the code? Not not CW code, but the code like the creed? No. No? All right. Our, our friend uh, Bill, Wild Bill, N5YCK. Sent me a little email back just a couple of days before Christmas and this link from the BBC that I suggest everyone go check out on Feston. There's a little radio program on there I think you'll enjoy. Turns out that Fessenden did the world's first voice broadcast on Christmas Eve of 1906. I knew I had heard of this. Yep. He mm -hmm. uh, more or less went on, introduced himself. He uh, played his violin. He uh, played Christmas Carol on Christmas Eve. He uh, also, um, I believe he did some reading from the Bible and said that he would be back on New Year's Eve. And I believe there was another broadcast on New Year's Eve. Now, this is the first time anyone had ever heard voice coming out of a radio before. Wow. He had wow. built, I believe the Ooh. story goes that he had built a transmitting tower, you know, uh, in Scotland or somewhere that was supposed to work for the test that he was going to do on this broadcast, but there was some problem, maybe the tower fell or something, I don't <laughs> remember, but it ended up his target was ships at sea because those were the only guys that had radio receivers and they were designed for receiving Morse code and then could you imagine all of a sudden <laughs> voice starts coming out of it. <laughs> <laughs> Pretty wild. They, they probably, yeah, didn't quite know what to think about that. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, there's, uh, there's a number of um, recreations of that broadcast. Of course, there's no... Um, no tape of it, <laughs> No obviously. real tape of it or wire recording or anything. Uh, it predated all of that. But yeah. there's a lot of different programs on the Internet, but the particular one I'm pointing at, I, I really enjoyed. Thanks, Bill. Cool. Thanks, Uncle Bill. Yeah, awesome. Tommy, you had a little something concerning yeah. code of some type, didn't you? What about the code uh, that the FCC's dropping? No more Morse code for amateur radio operators required. I finally have a good reason to go upgrade my license now. Yeah, yeah. me too. I'm uh, actually studying right now to go take it at the Hamfest. Cool. Cool. I'm, I'm studying too to upgrade. I'm studying too to upgrade yeah. to amateur extra. <clears throat> Not swearing I'll oh, take cool. one, but I am studying. <laughs> yeah. But uh, in my opinion, I think it was a good thing. You know, I've worked yes. in the radio industry and television industry since 1972, and the Morse code was keeping me from upgrading. 
I didn't have time to yeah. spend on it. I, I just didn't care to learn it. Well, well I didn't either. Uh, it's not used as a viable means of communication any longer by any service. Uh, yeah. Well, I guess it shouldn't in, by any commercial service. I think the military does still have it as a standby, but like ships at sea were the last. Yeah. Well, all the and commercial they, services yeah. just were discontinued within like the last year. Didn't Western Union drop? Uh, I think they I were think, several years yeah. back. I think the last one were were ships okay. ships at sea, and they they uh, stopped like ninety six. Maybe it was maybe it wasn't quite that long ago. Yeah, it's been a while. Yeah, it's been a good. It's been a pretty good while. Well, Tommy, tell us how to burn a Dodge or Dodge a burn. <laughs> Well, I had an email request from someone about uh, using the dodge and burn tools in Photoshop. So, anyway, I thought I'd do this month's segment on that. And uh, you'll see you kind of get the same results as we did when we tried to sandwich the two raw pictures together. But, uh, anyway, let's take a look at it and see what you think. Hi, I'm Tommy. Welcome to another episode of Photo Tips. For today's episode, we're going to go over something that came in from a viewer request. Uh, a viewer emailed wanted to know how to use the dodge and burn features in Photoshop, or tools rather. Um, dodge and burn come, back, come from the old analog days where you used to do things in the dark room. You had a piece of paper that you exposed with your negative by projecting the light through the enlarger. And to dodge, you would actually cut out a shape of paper or cardboard or something and put it on a piece of wire and you pass it between the light and the paper at a high enough distance from the paper that that will be out of focus and you sort of move it to keep from having a sharp shadow edge and what you're doing is actually allowing less light to expose the paper so it, you actually have a lighter area of that image in that spot and you would cut them out in different shapes to fit whatever you were trying to dodge. Um, burn is just the opposite. You would cut out a piece of paper and allow a certain area of your image to be exposed more. Photoshop will allow us to do essentially the same thing, although it's a, it's a lot easier. And if you don't do it right the first time, you can undo and redo it. We're going to get essentially the same effect we had when we, in a couple episodes ago, we used two images that were created from one raw file. One was exposed properly for highlights, one was exposed for the darker areas, and we merged them together and erased the part that we didn't want of one image and made one good image out of the two. That was uh, two episodes ago. Let's take a look at the exact same sample and let's see what we can do using the dodge and burn techniques with this one. Okay, you should recognize this image from the previous episode where we created two exposures with the raw from a raw file. One exposed for the sky or the highlights and one exposed for the midtones or dark areas of the image. And then we erased away uh, we sandwiched them together in layers and erased away the dark portion of the image to have an image that was exposed for the highlights and the dark areas. We're going to try to somewhat duplicate that using the dodge and burn tools. They're not really designed to do that. They're mostly designed to to lighten or darken um, certain areas of the of the picture. Like for instance, the 
the uh, windows of the car here in the foreground you could darken that and get some more detail or if you wanted to to say darken the street area and get a little more detail you could run the uh, the burn tool over that and darken that a little bit you can do the sky area although it's not really designed for that you'll end up with a smoky look because it uses a, a kind of a mid-gray color or tone to to darken and I'll show you a sample of that here in a moment Let's start off down here with our uh, dodge tool and let's try to lighten up a portion of the image because this takes a, a little bit of time to go through we'll just kind of work on the dark the bottom portion of the image here you can see it's starting to bring out some uh, some detail in the dark areas. Let's work under work under this awning area and see if we can pull out some more information there. The first pass is relatively uh, relatively mild. If you let go of the mouse and then click it again you'll get a lot more aggressive action the next time. We're using Photoshop elements like we usually do. It's uh, Adobe Photoshop product is uh, very similar to the full-blown version of Photoshop. has a lot of functionality, but uh, is very inexpensive to purchase a copy. And you can see we've got some good detail there. So let's uh, let's go back and use the burn tool and let's darken the windshield, the side window of this car a little bit to even that out. And you can see that even set up some. We'll darken this little area of the street just for fun. And it's starting to get a lot closer. Now I'm going to do a little piece of the sky up here and show you what I mean about the, uh, the way it makes it look a little smoky. See, it gives it a, dark, a dull gray cast. It's not really recommended to do that. Um, while it's a lot of work, you could use these tools and go through and doctor this image and make it look pretty much like we did when we sandwiched the two, uh, the two files that were created from the one raw and get similar effect. But uh, like I said, it's mainly used or mainly, to me it's mainly useful for lightening or darkening specific areas of the image to, to create a little bit more pleasing exposure not for a mass uh, just a mass image overhaul I don't think for large areas if you were going to try to do this you wouldn't want to it would probably be preferable to expose create your image for the, the highlights or for the sky area and then use the dodge tool to to lighten up like the bricks or the dark areas of your image because it's a lot easier to control that than it is to control the um, the highlight areas especially if they're vivid blue like our sky here you'll end up like I said with the dull uh, gray smoky looking sky Okay, as you can see, you get pretty much the same results as you did using the other technique. 
Some people prefer this because you get a little more control and you can do little minor areas. I think maybe even a, a blend of the two techniques, ultimately, if you have an image that needs a lot of work, would be uh, ideal because you can do the larger areas. And if you have smaller areas in your image that you need to dodge or burn to lighten or darken, use those tools to do that as well. Um, you're only really limited by your creativity. As always, if you have any comments or questions, tmartin at amateurlogic.tv, and I'll be glad to answer them the best I can. Um, if you have suggestions for upcoming episodes, please drop me a line at the same email address, tmartin at amateurlogic.tv, and we'll see what we can do about getting them in in an upcoming episode. Okay, Tommy, yeah, I see what you're talking about now. Very similar results from previous episode when you were using the layers and erasing away the darker parts. Yeah, it's very similar. The, the, the dodge and burn tools are a lot better for doing smaller areas of the image. You can do a big area like I was showing in the episode, but it's really a lot better for using, for doing little isolated sections. You know, George, if we keep watching Tommy's photo tips, we're going to learn how to use Photoshop before it's over with. Oh, oh man. <laughs> I, I'm a have that. I'm a Corel, ah. whatever you want to call it. Oh Is man, that, you're talking nasty now. I can't listen to that. That's bad. <laughs> okay, Jim, what's in the old email box there? Well, uh, we did go back and dig up a couple of emails that uh, viewers sent in regarding my uh, almost uh, imitation of. Uh, Fantastic Four Flame guy, what do you call him? Flame on, Johnny Flame. <laughs> uh, anyway, uh, hey, you guys put out a great show. This is from Kevin VA3KCV in Lancaster, Ontario. I like the episode on part salvage. We call it parts recovery. Reminded me of my college days. <laughs> I just never seen it done with an almost bored flare up. <laughs> so thanks Kevin yeah uh, by, by the way Jim have you used those parts in any projects were they any good I, I have not used them yet okay. but I do still have them separately <laughs> and uh, we also got uh, one on the same topic from Mike KL7R again and he says Jimmy the episode 11 segment on parts recovery was pretty darn funny whoa okay Thanks, Mike. We didn't plan it that way, but <laughs> he says, you are as hard-headed as I am. Just bang the darn board on the workbench. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> he says, I can see why you might not want to be banging it on your kitchen table, but you shouldn't be running a blowtorch on the kitchen table anyway. That's, that's a good point. That's good yeah. advice. I think we'll, <laughs> I think we'll take it. <laughs> well, you know... I was sitting around the shop thinking of a basic stamp project. It seems like it was just the other day. Steven says, hey guys, enjoyed the last episode, good as always. At some point in the show you mentioned something about a parallax microcontroller. I'm pretty interested in that, but was curious of the one you guys were working with. I went to Parallax website and there are a lot of expensive kits on there. I think you mentioned the particular kit you used was around $30. Yeah. And uh, this is the one that uh, we were discussing. Uh, this is the Basic Stamp 2 OEM module, and I believe it's $30 on the web special. If you click on Sell, you'll find it. Um, you assemble this yourself. You solder the components onto the board. And this is uh, a larger size of Basic Stamp 2 module. And there's also 
the standard basic stamp two module. Yeah, it's a, as you can see, it's quite a bit smaller. It's uh, about the size of two postage stamps. Yeah, this one has all surface mount components on it, and uh, they've mounted it on a little carrier board that you can just plug into an IC socket. Yeah, for hobbyists, if you're not concerned with your size, I, the Basic Stamp 2 OEM one's a little preferable to me because it comes with the serial port already built on it. Yeah, the reason they, they have two different modules here, this one is the standard one, the Basic Stamp 2 module, and the OEM module uses larger through-hole components. So if you were going to do your own design, um, you're probably going to be using through-hole components since they're much easier to work with than surface mount. And so Parallax offers this basic Stamp 2 OEM module so you can actually work with these larger components and it's easier to see how everything wires up than it would be with uh, the small one. Yeah. This, uh, if you're going to use this one, there's a, a motherboard that this will actually install on that's got the power connectors for your 9 volt supply and, and uh, there's got a piece of breadboard on it as well. Yeah, this is, uh, I believe this is called... Uh, well, I'm not sure what they call it, but this is one of the basic stamp carrier boards. It may be called the Board of Education. <laughs> There's several different models, but yeah, here the, the module will just plug right in the, the chip socket here. You can put the components you're working in or with over on this side and the jumper wires and such. Put a 9-volt battery to it or hook a power supply, either one. And then there's this particular model has a USB port on it that you can plug into your computer to program the unit. Now there's a, a, a lot of different basic stamp modules. There's, uh, I don't know how many different, probably six or eight different ones. Here's another one right here. This is the uh, basic stamp to P40. Now this one has more I.O. pins on it. It has 32 I.O. pins on it. So you could control twice as many things with it. Now what kind of things would you want to control with this? Well, you could, uh Pretty much control anything. You've got, they've got uh, little servo motors that you can connect to them and uh, turn things. Uh, yeah. You can actually use it to sense closures or act actuate a relay. Make a great alarm circuit. Yeah. Uh, you can uh, add other components to it. You can add uh, A to D converters to it and then measure uh, analog voltages with the unit. Um, you can measure capacitance. Uh, I believe you can measure resistance. A lot of different things you can do with uh, with this little device. Yeah. They've even got a, a network board that'll attach to it with a little miniature web server that you can control your devices or projects over the internet or your even your local network. Yeah, it's pretty slick. Yeah, it's pretty very slick. very does, slick. Does email, uh, FTP, HTTP, UDP, so you can do quite a lot of stuff with this little chip. Yeah, it's pretty incredible. And we were looking for a quick and easy project to uh, do today, and we thought that this amateur radio Fox Beacon project might be a good one. Uh, basically, all this is is a circuit that will key up a transmitter and then send a Morse code identification. And uh, we're using the book uh, Stamp 2 Communications and Control Projects. Uh, this is a great book. Uh, it's got a lot of amateur radio projects in it and other communications projects as well. Uh, the schematic for what we are building is right here. We're using a basic stamp 2 module. The serial port is already on the basic stamp 2 OEM module, so we don't have to put this on there. Uh, instead of the relay that is used to key up the transmitter, We've inserted an LED here in that place so that you can see it light up to know that things are working. 
Uh, here's the actual audio that's coming off out of the chip right here. And these, these P0 through P15, uh, these are just input or output pins on the basic stamp 2 module. Uh, you can uh, send a voltage out, retrieve a voltage, send or receive pulses. And that's basically what it's doing here. It's sending out a series of pulses uh, out this audio line here. This same line could have been used for controlling a relay or almost anything. Um, so uh, back to the circuit. Uh, basically we just put our voltage in to the basic stamp and you'll notice here they're showing 12 volts. Well we're running 9 in it. Uh, and there's a 5 volt regulator on the module that brings it down to 5 volts. There's also a reset push button right here. This does the same thing as a reset button on your uh, PC. You press it and the program just restarts. Here's the parts we're going to need for this project. Our basic stamp 2 OEM module. And we'll just plug it into our experimenter board. Uh, we've got a push button switch. That'll be the reset button. A couple of uh, 0.1 microfarad capacitors. An LED and a resistor to drop the volts. The LED, a jumper wire. And a little pigtail for our power. That LED's our rig. Yes, this, this represents the transmitter. So uh, we'll start by connecting the power and in this case the ground is going to go to pin 2 and we're going to put our positive voltage in on pin 3. The reset switch connects between pin 4 on this basic stamp OEM module and ground which will be the bottom bus here. Now let's make that ground so we'll connect from our power supply ground a jumper lead down to this ground bus. Then our transmitter, which is actually an LED in this case, goes from pin 5 to ground. And we put our resistor in series with our ground lead. Then our audio coming out of the unit is going to be from pin number six. So we'll plug a 0.1 microfarad capacitor in there into ground as our schematic showed. And we'll also plug a 0.1 microfarad capacitor from there to an empty spot. Now, all that remains to be done is to connect the speaker. And it will connect from this end of the capacitor to ground. And the next step is to program the code into the unit. So we'll plug in the serial cable. And we'll connect the power. Let's take a look at the source here and see how easy it is to write software that runs on the basic stamp. If you've ever done any coding in the basic language, you'll be right at home in this. Even if you haven't, it's very easy and very readable. First of all, we've got three directives in the top of our source code. The first one tells us that we're using the basic stamp too. 
The second one tells us we're using the 2.5 version of the compiler, and the third one tells us the COM port that the device is actually hooked up on this particular computer. We have some constants set up. The first one is the tone. We have give it a value of 800. So we're going to create an 800 hertz tone for our ID. We have the DIT length, which is 100 milliseconds, or one-tenth of a second. The dial length is three-tenths of a second. When we execute, we're going to go through and key our push to talk. So this go sub-statement tells us to go down and run a block of code. This particular one is keep PTT for key push to talk. It'll jump down here and execute the code. Right now, we're going to raise line zero to high and that'll actually light our LED. If you had it hooked up to a radio, it would uh, you would have a relay in your circuit and it would actually actuate the relay and key your rig. We'll pause three-tenths of a second to give the transmitter time to key up and continue on. Next we're going to display the first letter of our call sign in the debug window. Again, you'll see that shortly. We're going to go sub the dial routine. So we'll go down here find our dial routine and we'll create a frequency on pin 1 and it's going to be for the length of the dial 1 variable which was 3 tenths of a second or 300 milliseconds and we're going to create it at 800 Hertz these are the constants that we set up previously we're going to pause for 1 tenth of a second and then return where we started from so we just executed this line the next one will be go sub dit the only difference in it is really the duration. If you look at them, you'll see this one was three tenths, this is one tenth. We're going to pause again and then return. We do that for the entire character. We'll pause after this character is finished and then we'll continue on to the next one. We'll go through and do the same thing all the way through the entire call sign. Then we're going to unkey the push to talk. So we'll jump down here and take line zero back low and that'll turn off our light or deactuate your relay. Next line we'll pause for 15 seconds, clear the debug window, and then go to start. Obviously in the real world you wouldn't want to be ID in every 15 seconds so you could change it to whatever value you want. We'll go back to start, do the whole thing all over again. And it'll run continuously like that until you remove power from it. To get this into the basic stamp, our stamps hooked up before, like I said, to COM1. And we're going to just click the Run button, and you can see it downloaded into the stamp. Once the code is downloaded, the program automatically starts running. Amazing. Isn't it? What did it say? I don't know. I wonder if someone can email us in and let us know. Okay. <laughs> yeah, any of you watching the screen, let us know what it says. <laughs> you notice LEDs on while it's uh, sending the code and then it turns off afterwards. That's to unkey the transmitter that it simulates. Yeah, yeah it'd be, be very easy to interface that with your radio. It would be, yeah. And so here you go, a repeater controller for uh, roughly 30 bucks, a yeah. repeater ID'er. You might want to adjust your timing so it didn't ID every 15 seconds.
So tell me what's going to be your first basic stamp project when you get back home. Well, I'm not really sure. I think I'd like to do something with the internet module. That's pretty slick stuff. It is. Eventually, I'd like to do something we had discussed earlier and maybe try to figure out how to interface that thing with the rig or ham radio so we could control that remotely. That would really be nice. Um, and it ought to be possible because these little modules can talk several different serial protocols and you know that's you know what they're using to control these rigs. Yeah, definitely. If we get that worked out, I'm pretty sure you guys will see plenty of information on that. Yeah. Be a slick project. Probably be a little while though. I wouldn't be counting on that one next month. Yeah. Um, well, as you can see, it's pretty easy to program the thing and actually interface different components with it. So, uh, Yeah, I actually um, have a project that's using the Internet module right now. I can't really discuss it, but uh, it's slick. I mean, it does everything you need to do, and you'd never guess that you were you know, talking to a little module this size. You would think it was a regular web server. Yeah, we should have a hack me contest and see who can hack the basic stamp web server sometime. Uh, we'll we'll have that one located at your house. <laughs> <laughs> Be pretty cool. Let's see if he can crash it. So far, it hadn't crashed at all, has it? No, never. Pretty rock solid stuff. Pretty rock solid. Very few things to go wrong. Yeah. Well, well, you guys really outdid yourself there. I like that. <laughs> I like yeah. that pretty good. It's much better than my uh, uh, LED. <laughs> <laughs> LED idea. <laughs> it's basically <laughs> the same thing. We just swap the code around. Yeah, you can hear yours. <laughs> yeah. Well, you we, know, that yeah. make a good uh, uh, fox hunt I, idea. I think that was the name of the project in the book. Yeah, that's, a, yeah, that's actually the project. We just kind of modified the project to suit our needs a little bit. Yeah. I see. Well, with the new year, the AmateurLogic.tv bit torrents have disappeared. Tell us a little bit about that, Tommy. Yeah, since my move up here, um, I've got less than a stable internet connection, and I've been running the the uh, BitTorrent tracker, and there had uh, not quite as many users on there as there are direct downloads. So anyway, we decided to shut the torrents down. Um, you can find the same downloads on the uh, main project. I'm sorry, the show website, AmateurLogic.tv, and just use the download link, and you'll find everything you need. Yeah. And yeah. to those BitTorrent users, we're sorry. <clears throat> Wish we could do something yeah. else. But if you'd like to host them for us, give us a buzz. <laughs> yeah, also, um, you know, most BitTorrent clients will allow you to take RSS feeds from direct downloads, too. So that might be a possibility for you as well. Yeah. Okay, well, George. Yeah, a little more Internet news. Uh, you know, the site dig.com. Yep. Everybody should be familiar Big time with that one. New site. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Well, they've recently added a podcast section, and somebody posted us on there and all our various episodes and uh, told us about it. And the day that I looked, we had four or five digs on there, and we wish the other four or five of you would go dig us too. <laughs> Here's the address. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Yeah. Go click it, mom. Yeah. Yeah. Thanks, mom. <laughs> <laughs> hey, George, uh, before we forget about it, I wanted to ask you about your shirt. Oh, my shirt. Yeah. yeah. It looks like a red yeah, telephone and that? words, the crisis. Yeah. Uh, my son gave me this shirt for Christmas. Uh, if anybody's in the Houston, Texas area, uh, go check out the crisis. Check it out it's, like. It's a rock and roll band that my son plays in. So oh. best three piece in Texas. Well, if you don't count ZZ Top. 
<laughs> Maybe. Okay, I was going to have to call you on that one until you straighten that out. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah I like that. Nice name. Nice yeah. t-shirt. I like that. It's appropriate sometimes, too. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> okay, well, we don't want to forget to mention that as we draw near to this episode's close, our annual Ham Fest coverage yep. of the Jackson Metro yep. Area Ham Fest is coming up yeah. next episode. Yeah, the Ham Fest is, what, uh, just a few weeks away. That's right. Of course, we're all going to be busy studying, you know, for uh, some license upgrades. But we're going to try not to let that interfere with our coverage too bad. And, uh, you know, we plan to do more of what we did last year. We had a lot of downloads on the various uh, pieces of it. So That's right. Uh, we hope you enjoy it and look forward to bringing it to you next month. Oh, yeah. I look forward to getting that nice, shiny new ticket. <laughs> yeah, me too. And you can tune in next episode. I mean, episode after next. And if we don't mention anything about ham licenses in it, you know, yeah. <laughs> you know that we won't be mentioning yeah, yeah. anything. About yeah, if we don't mention it, you please don't mention it either, because it'll be a sore subject by that point. Yeah. That's right. <laughs> it means Tommy and I will still be talking on Echo Link. <laughs> But that is the hope that we'll be able to talk direct here uh, within the next couple of months. Yep. So, so good deal. We've enjoyed it. Yeah, it's getting close yep. to the end of our material for episode 12. Gosh, even dozen now. Wow, man. Yeah. Even the Baker's dozen next month. <laughs> yeah, time flies. Okay, well, that's wow. it. We hope you'll join us again next month. See ya. See you then. Okay, let's you reverse it. We're done. <laughs>